Let's now take our Bibles and open God's holy word to what we find in the first letter of John. We'll begin reading at 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, and we'll read into chapter 3, verse 18. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 24, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, 
but in deed and in truth. So far the reading of Holy Scripture, and I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we find that in 1 John 3, the verses 1 through 3, and let's read those verses again. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure so far. And after the sermon, we will sing all stanzas of hymn 72. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, if someone were to ask you what words you would use to describe your relationship to God, how would you answer that? Could you answer it on the spot without hesitation or stalling for words and time? It's an important question, isn't it? And none of us should brush it off with a nonchalant shrug of the shoulder or with little care. For the question takes us to the very heart of who we are. And when we discover for the first time or afresh the character and the status of our relationship with God, we gain a sense of awe and amazement. For when we open the scriptures, we discover our relationship to God is not something we decide but has been predetermined by a declaration made by our Heavenly Father. He takes us, who have so much to say about ourselves, even though we are one in over seven billion human beings on this planet. He takes us, who are minuscule, and cannot be seen with the naked eye from 30,000 feet in the air, let alone in the vastness of the universe. He takes us, who by nature are slaves to sin and interested in the schemes and the methods of the devil, and he declares to each one of us personally, you, together with all your brothers and sisters in Christ, do not belong to the devil's realm You're not left to figure out life by your own intellect and intuition because I have adopted you to be my child. And not only have I adopted you, but I move in by my spirit and penetrate your innermost recesses so that you take on the family resemblance the privileges of the family, of being adopted children, come to you through rebirth. In Christ you are reborn and are an entirely new creation. 
Yes, you remain inclined to sin and evil. But I have changed your status. You are my child. And it should thrill your heart and captivate your mind that you are mine. Oh, how beautiful and heartwarming. Your heavenly Father adopted you as his child and places you in his family, the church. And that, brothers and sisters, should give you holy goosebumps. All those who worship with you are your family. Yes, all of them. Even those you don't like find annoying or have dis you have dismissed because they think a little differently than you do. Knowing ourselves to be children of God, to belong, that lies at the heart of understanding the whole of the Christian life. It prompts and controls our worship, our prayers, our outlook on life. Well, all of this gives us enough to chew on, doesn't it? For if we understand who we are as God's children, then our behavior, our attitude, the places we go, our interaction with God and others will reflect who we are. How could it not? And this is what John addresses in the passage before us this morning. Beautiful words, amazing, powerful words that should touch our emotions to the depth of our being. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And the apostle directs our attention to two things. First of all, the awesome privilege of being children, and then the all-encompassing implications of being children. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. The Apostle John searches for words to describe the love God has not just given us, but given generously. He has lavished his love upon us. John is totally astounded by the manifestation of God's love and he wants that reaction to filter through and to fill our hearts too. Behold, look at it. Look at what kind of love the Father has given us. It erupts and gushes forth from the pages of his self-revelation to be called children of the living God, of the God who is almighty, the creator of the universe, is more delightful than you and I can imagine and deeper than you and I can fathom. In the Greek language, the phrase translated what manner refers to something foreign. Something out of this world. When Jesus calms a raging storm and the disciples are awestruck, they say, what kind, what manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. 
What sort of man is this? Jesus is not an ordinary man. You find the story in Matthew 8. And now John writes, Behold, what sort of love? The love of God is far from ordinary. Look at the love he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Indeed, that love is foreign to the sinful human mind. It belongs to a different dimension. The love of God does not discriminate based on who we are, whether we're desirable or attractive. It is solely rooted in grace. It is not a love we hoped for, but a love that has been poured over us and solidified in Christ. See what kind of love has come into our earthly existence. The Almighty, the Holy, Sovereign Lord of all the earth approaches an unholy people, a people of filth and greed and recklessness and wastefulness and rebellion, and he says, I claim you. You are my child. The apostle writes, this is who you are. Look again at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. These words are pastoral and reassuring. And they help clarify our relationship with God. For notice, John does not suggest we become children if we do this or that or something special for God. Children of God are not some elite group within the congregation, a few spiritual stalwarts who have it all right, who have reached a superior knowledge. No, the church is the family of God, the place where the children of God dwell and are at home. So as a believer, I do not stand above others, and I do not stand on my own because the Father has placed me in His family where the playing field is leveled no matter what our status or position that we might have in this world. We are children. Every time a child is born, we marvel at the miracle of new life. After nine months of being in the womb, a child is brought forth. But here, John wants us to pay attention to a far greater miracle happening in this world. A surprising act of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Literally, that we should be brought forth by the working of God. You see, the position God gives us in His family, the church, is not through physical birth, but through spiritual adoption. This birth comes from above. Its origin is in heaven. God gives us the status of children. In the family of God, none of us has any natural rights. 
Brothers and sisters, when we come to understand the depth of the love of God in allowing us to be his children, that not only fills our hearts with amazement, but also astonishment. And so the most ungrateful thing I could do is to lose a sense of astonishment and amazement for God's love and grace in calling me his child. By nature, I am a child of wrath. And it is most astonishing that God should love me so much as to take me out of the darkness and the ditch of sin and condemnation. The Father chose us to be His children through Christ. He came down and He found us living in sin and he sets his heart and affections on us. The Lord in infinite love and mercy takes outcasts and rebels and enemies and he brings them into his family and gives them the family name and the family status and the family privileges and the family blessings and the family inheritance. This is who we are. And we are to acknowledge that in faith. We tend to think that God must love us when we have an abundance of wealth, we're so blessed by Him, or when we enjoy good health, or when we do good to others. But what will be our conclusion then when things go south and totally wrong? When calamity comes and our hopes are dashed and our life is turned upside down and our hands and our arms and our legs no longer allow us to do the very things we want to do. Beloved children of God, keep this in mind. God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus had to go to the cross to secure our position as children. The natural Son of God had to come under the wrath of God that we children deserved. Oh, the Lord was not under any obligation to save us from our sin. He didn't owe it to us, but He did it to display what kind of love and kindness fills his heart. And what greater love can you find than that the holy, majestic God sent his cherished and precious son to die for you and for me so that we can take our place in his family. The language of God's love is a language unknown in this earthly realm. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What awesome and extraordinary love. For when the Father determines to enter a relationship with us, we receive the same privileges that Jesus Christ receives, being the eternal, natural Son of God. We who, made such, who make such a mess of things throughout the course of our life, 
are looked upon with undeserved favor by the Father as if we were his only natural son. He grants us the right to be called children by our union with Christ. Breathtaking and overwhelmingly beautiful, isn't it? Well, there you have it, dear young people, children, adults, and seniors. Know who you are and what your relationship is with God. There is no need to question, am I a child of God? Does he really love me? Oh, for sure, those thoughts can flood our minds when we are down, anxious, despairing, or fed up with the relentless fight against sin. But never forget this verse. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Every day, you and I are called to be who we are. And the more we learn to understand what it means to be in union with Christ, the more we also see and appreciate the all-encompassing implications of being children of God. Brings us to our second point. Look once more at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now, there are several implications that flow forth from our status as God's children. And the first is this. We live in the present as children who have a glorious future. Being children of the Father now gives us a grand perspective that colors our present reality. We know who we are, children of the Father. But we do not know what exactly the future holds. We have our limitations. But that does not mean we do not know anything about the future. We know that when Jesus Christ appears, we will be changed. God's children will be released from sin completely and made holy, suited for glory. John says that we will be like Christ. No, that does not mean that somehow we will become divine. Our outward appearance will change in that we will receive a body that is no longer subject to disease, death, and decay. And our inner disposition will change in that we no longer sin or get bogged down by the effects of sin. Brothers and sisters, think of those things that have, think of those who have gone to be with the Lord. They see Jesus face to face. And the joy they now have is beyond any imagination. And that is our destination as children of God when we believe in Christ and trust in Him. I will see Him and be like Him. 
And as his countenance shines on me, I will reflect his glory and be in full communion with him. My eyes will not be clouded by the sins that today blur my vision. My eyes will see the glory of the coming of the Lord. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And being children of the Father, that gives us such a grand perspective then for the future. What we will be is the perfection of who we are, children of God. What that entails is not known to us, but our status as children and the hope this establishes in our hearts, that draws out a second implication. Verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And notice the Apostle John does not use the word must. Everyone who has this hope in him must purify himself as he is pure. No. He notes it as a fact. A child of God, born of God, has an entirely different relationship to sin because you have been given a new nature with new affections and a new disposition. Those who are in Christ, those who are children of the Father, desire to be pure and therefore they see to it, they see it as their calling to be pure. How can it be otherwise? Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Purifies. It's an ongoing and daily process. And what is this purity? Well, pure in Scripture refers to something unmixed or unadulterated. In Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And pure in heart here refers to spiritual integrity and singleness of heart, as opposed to double-mindedness. Purity is integrity, a full and total allegiance brought about through the cleansing power of Christ. And so in 1 John 3, verse 3, the apostle is saying much the same as what Jesus said in the Beatitude. As a child of the Lord, I desire to be pure. Awed by the love of God, I give love in return with a holy and single-minded devotion. And was this not what characterized the earthly ministry of Jesus? When you read through the Gospels, you read everywhere how Jesus is constantly aware of his relationship with his Father. Jesus identifies himself with his Father. I and the Father are one, he says. And we, being Christ-like, are to identify ourselves with our Heavenly Father. God's character begins to appear in our lives. 
Our, our behavior identifies us as children of the Father who trust Him with single-minded devotion. Our life is to be lived in relationship to our Father. And consequently, we are not ashamed to be identified with the family of God and with the Father's purpose. We recognize that it is part of our identity as a child of God to be holy and to be pure, to be dedicated to Him with single-minded devotion. And brothers and sisters, John mentions these things to encourage us to abide in Jesus, to have confidence in Him and not to be ashamed before Him at His coming. That was chapter 2, verse 28. Oh, we can easily get discouraged and begin to doubt whether we are children of God because we get disheartened by our lack of spiritual progress, by the way we continue to be plagued by the sins and the same temptations, by our inability to do with any consistency the things we know we should do and want to do for our Savior's sake. We are dismayed by how easily we are sidetracked into sin, how cowardly we can be, how weak our faith seems to be. And in this discouragement, we lose heart and give up trying to put our sins to death. We are children. But so often we are disobedient and rebellious children. Well, John would have us remember that we are children of the Lord. That's the starting point. We have received this position in Christ. And he has granted us the Holy Spirit who transforms and renews us. He gives us new birth and applies to us what we have in Christ. Yes, the Spirit is working in us, shaping us, molding us, preparing us for glory. And some of that is already visible. Those who are in Christ desire to live pure and holy lives even though they fail miserably. Recognizing my own failures. That's part of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He makes me see it. That my righteousness is not in myself, but in Christ alone. And the privileges that we receive in this life are so great that the world with all its technological advancement is not able to grasp it. The blessings that we will receive later are so great that we cannot fathom it with our own minds. The love the Lord has lavished upon us today is but a foretaste of what is to come. There, will, there we will enjoy something that the eye has not seen or ear heard or that has entered the heart of any person. And we can be sure of this. Because the Lord is my Father and I am His, his adopted child and I'm waiting to receive the inheritance kept in store for me and for all God's children. 
And so for the Christian, there is always hope. And you know why, right? Because the best is yet to come. Today we rejoice in God's love, but we are not yet who we are supposed to be. We sin, we yield to temptation, we act entitled, we act spoiled, and are often so full of ourselves. But the day is coming when there will be no struggle with indwelling sin or infidelity or impurity or infirmities. The sleepless nights, the grief, the restlessness, the anxiety, the heartache, the hurt will be gone. Death itself will die. Yes, the day is coming when our brother and Savior will present us to the Father without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. Indeed, the best is yet to come, dear children of the Father and brothers and sisters of Christ. For the day is coming when you will see God as He is. You will see the Lamb who has taken away your sins, the crowning joy of your relationship as children of God is that God will dwell with you eternally in the person of Jesus and you will enjoy his fellowship forever. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Be amazed. And let it be known that this is your relationship with God. Those who live in this relationship with God have a single-minded devotion to Him. They purify themselves as He is pure. And isn't it delightful that our Savior already promised His children, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And now back to where we started. When you are asked, what words would you use to describe your relationship with God? Be sure to answer with an altogether new or renewed sense of joy, enthusiasm, and amazement. I am a child of God. God is my Father. I belong to His family through Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen.